Welcome to the Plymouth Meeting Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope the following message touches your hearts and minds. So in just a few days, The Little Mermaid, the remake, is, uh, is coming out to theaters. It's based off of the 1989 version, uh, which of course is based off of the Hans Christian Andersen fairy tale from the 1830s. Uh, in the animated Disney version, the Little Mermaid is named Ariel. She's 16 years old, and she kind of struggles with, with fitting in. And uh, she, you know, of course, lives in the ocean, which is natural for mermaids, and she is obsessed with the human world above. So you probably know the story, right? Um, she meets a guy named Eric, and he happens to be a prince. And the plot moves along. Uh, Ariel ends up making this deal with a sea witch named Ursula, and Ariel is willing to exchange her voice, her beautiful mermaid voice. She's going to give that up for a pair of legs. Now, actually, in the Hans Christian Andersen fairy tale version, it's actually way more brutal and violent. The sea witch like cuts out the tongue, um, and I know there's a whole lot more to the story. Uh, but if we kind of just pause right there and couch ourselves right there, you know, Ariel craves the attention of, of, of Eric. She, she, she is yearning for it. She wants to win the approval of, of Eric. And, you know, she has this ambition. She has this appetite for the, the world above. And you know what? This is what it takes. This is what she is willing to do. And so the, the Little Mermaid is willing to lose her voice in order to have a chance. With Prince Eric. Now, all of us from time to time, we can identify with this. Because sometimes we're willing to give up our, our voice. We're willing to, to dress up or dress down because of other people. Now, there are times, places, and spaces where, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's for the good that we kind of shift a little bit. We... we um, we change for the sake of others. You know, 1 Corinthians 9.22 talks about this. You know, for, for the sake of the gospel, be all things to all people. Okay, so yeah, there, there are times we, we kind of bend for other people. Again, for the sake of, of good news. But that's not what I'm talking about today. I'm talking about the times where we do not operate out of who we are. Because we either, one, crave somebody's approval. Or two... Perhaps we fear their rejection. The Bible calls this the fear of man, fear of others. Proverbs 29, 15 says this. The fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. So fearing others is like a snare. That's a trap. Actually, like, like a net to, to trap birds, okay? These, these birds can't fly anymore. They are, they are trapped. A, a snare, by definition, is designed to take away your freedom, okay? It, it takes something from you. It derails you. It, it disengages you. It disables you. It, it can make you anxious. It, it forces you to, to go along with something without you really having a chance to, to think about it. But the wisdom of this proverb is this, trust or believe, trust in God, trust in God's way, 
Trust in God and you will be kept safe. God has no intention of robbing you. God wants to set you securely on high. God's all about lifting up, not putting you down in this sense. Now, fear of of others has this mutant twin called seeking the approval of others. In Matthew chapter 4, you know know the story. You might know the story here. Jesus is tempted by the devil three times in the wilds. One temptation goes after the appetite of Jesus. He's hungry. He's been fasting. Hey, Jesus, be your own provider. Turn these stones into bread. Another temptation was ambition, okay? When Jesus was offered the whole world, hey, power grab all the kingdoms of the world, you can set up your own empire, Jesus, but of course it would be crossless, it would be unatoned. You know, Ariel, she had an appetite for the human world, she, uh, she was fueled by her ambition, she was uh, obsessed with all the human gadgets and gizmos that she would find at the bottom of the ocean. And then, yeah, this, this approval, this, this other thing in there was, was driving her. Ooh, um, I, I, I have this ambition, I have this appetite, I, uh, this, this approval. All of these things can get hijacked, okay? They, they become temptations for us. It, it's exactly what happened to Jesus in the wilderness, okay? The third temptation for Jesus was, hey, win the approval of others. That's one way to frame the third temptation, Let's read it. The devil took Jesus to the holy city and had him stand at the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is also written, do not put your Lord to the test. So let's go back. The highest point of the temple complex it's actually pretty high. That, that's a far drop, okay? If Jesus decided to jump, man, that would be a spectacle. It would be like angels in the outfield style. Like the angels would catch him, like Jesus would not drop. He would be held up safely in the air. But it would be a spectacle. Oh my goodness. Like, like the, the, the temple, the, the center of, of Israel's worship life. There's Jesus, just like chilling out in the air with some angels, winning the approval of others. Whoa, who is this guy? God is our safety. He's our refuge. Okay? We don't need to put God to the test. One way I was thinking about it, it's like there's two two paths in the road. On one side is the, the fear of man, craving approval and attention and all of that. That can, you know, there's that path. The other side is trust. Trusting in God. Craving his refuge. Craving his wisdom. To frame it up another way, when when we operate out of fear of others or when we crave the attention and the approval of others, we can get tangled up and that leads us to missing the mark. We sin. What are some of the signposts here? What are some of the warning signs that we perhaps can pay attention to when we, when we kind of fear rejection, 
when we fear others, when, when, uh, or, or again, the opposite side of that, when we, when we crave that unhealthy craving of like, hey, hey, I need your attention, I need your approval, tell me I'm good. Well, I think it looks a little bit different for each one of us, and, and, and sometimes I think there's a swing. Sometimes we lose our voice, okay? Other times we, we get really chatty, perhaps we get really talkative, uh, opinionated, defensive, we do things to stand out. We want to be seen. Or perhaps we try to hide. You know, we, 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 uh, we try to blend in. Fear of others. That can drive us to being just overwhelmed all the time. You know, we fear of others and, you know, fear of being invaded. And I don't want to be invaded. I don't want to be overwhelmed. So therefore, what I'm going to do, I'm going to work extra hard to make sure I get dialed in. I know all the answers ahead of time. We spend a lot of energy there. Perhaps, there, yeah, there's, there's tons of different emotions. Each one of us is different. We have our own recipe of, of emotions, what fear, what unhealthy approval and seeking, all of that uh, can, can do to our hearts. You know, it turns into this, this treadmill, you know. And, you know, maybe another signpost, another, another warning sign is we just make ourselves really busy. Hey, I don't want to be afraid of you, but I also don't want to love you. And what I'm going to do is just stay super, super busy so that we never really get close. (laughs) Anybody been there before? Again, fear of others, it, it, it brings changes to our life and definitely not in good ways. And perhaps we've learned this through survival. This is something we just picked up along the way. But you know what? In final analysis, yes, the fear of others, it does prove to be a snare. It takes something from us. It robs us of our, of our, of our true selves. We can't be ourselves. And when we can't be ourselves as image bearers, that means we're not reflecting right. And if we're not reflecting right, well, maybe that's just another way to say, yeah, like, that's sin. That's that's distrust. That's unbelief. There, there's something there that's not operating right. So what can we do? Let's ask the next question. What can we do? Uh, last week's sermon, this sermon, two more sermons to go. Um, we're, we're drawing from Dr. Tim Chester. He's helping, uh, helping with some of the thoughts. Dr. Tim Chester, he is a UK church planner. He's a pastor, author. He says, the answer to the fear of man is the fear of God. We need a big view of God. To fear God is to respect, to worship, to trust and submit to him. It's the proper response to his glory, his holiness, his power, his love, his goodness, his wrath. I'm going to ask a couple questions here. When you woke up this morning, how big was your God? When you walked here or pulled into the back lot, how big was your God? When we were singing together just a few moments ago, how big was God in those songs? Paraphrasing Chuck Swindoll, when when God is, is too small, our problems are too big and we retreat in fear and insecurity. But when God is great, 
Our problems are the, are the things that shrink back. And we're able to stand in awe. We're able to, to worship God. So let's take a look at a few verses here of, of what the Bible says about our big, glorious God. We won't go super, super deep. We'll just pick a few scattered verses for today. But I want to start in Exodus 15, 11. This was uh, Moses. He is singing this song. This is a, a poem, a song in Exodus 15, right after the uh, passing through the waters. Who is like God, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? Psalm 93, 1. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. To be majestic, that, that is another word here that we can throw into this, this pot this morning about, you know, glory, glory and, and honor, majesty. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty. He is armed with strength. Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. Isaiah 6.3, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah 42, 8. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. God does not share his glory with imposter gods. Now, the Hebrew word for, for glory literally means weightiness or, or heaviness. But metaphorically, yeah, it's about reputation. It, it's about reverence. It's about honor and respect significance to fear god is to have a measure of of reverence here now i'm going to use an illustration and i I really hope it it sticks for us today i want you to think about the edge of a cliff think about the edge of a cliff the the edge comes with reverence right or to use another word fear now as a side note like, not all fear is, is bad. It can be instructional. Okay? When, when, when uh, fear, reverence works correctly, it keeps us safe. But back to the edge here. Respect the edge. Okay? If you respect the edge, then you can get up close and you can see the view. But you have to respect it. You have to revere it. Okay? In the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 4, we learn that because of Jesus, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we can receive mercy, so that we can find grace. Jesus is our great high priest. And the good news is, it is because of Jesus, in Jesus, we can approach the edge, using this metaphor still, we can approach the edge of the cliff with confidence. And you know what? We find out that if we go with Jesus, Jesus has this harness for us. He has this rope for us. He, he has uh, the harness and the, and the rope, and he's not going to let us fall. We, we actually can be at the edge in confidence. Through Jesus, we have access to God, the God of all life. And that means we can dwell securely at the edge of the cliff. In fact, you know, all metaphors have their limits, but I would say like, yeah, like in this metaphor, we're made to live on the edge. We're made to have an edge. We're made for the edge. And it's at the edge of the cliff 
where we, where we trust Jesus and we come alive in Jesus, the ropes of mercy, the, the, the harness of grace is there holding us, holding us up. It is at the edge of the cliff. We're held by Jesus. Blessed assurance, right? We're held by Jesus. And we're made to do what we're supposed to do. We're glorifying God. We're made in God's image. And it is at the edge of the cliff. That's where we, we're free, but we're also trusting. We're believing and not doubting. In this metaphor, the mature Christian, the goal of like the discipled life, is the one who has such great reverence for the edge, but at the same time trusts in Jesus. And they live on that edge. I'm not going to fall. God's not going to drop me. I am going to trust God. God is glorious. God is big. God is a good provider. God is great. God is gracious. He's got me. Living on that edge. But what happens when we have a small reverence of the cliff? What if you don't fear the edge of the cliff, right? Or what if we struggle to believe that, it, that Jesus has good news for us. You know, we're, we're back here. <laughs> no, Jesus, <laughs> I don't like that rope you got, or I don't, I don't trust you. I don't like that harness. I don't quite understand. Can you really hold me up? One time I went rappelling out in New Mexico. It was the only time I really did it. And uh, the, the guy like leading it and the lane or whatever the, the proper term is. The, the, the certified instructor person, he, we're all hooked up, and he was like, okay, do you trust me? And I said right away, no. <laughs> like, I didn't have the time to think. That, that just came straight from, like, the truest part of who I was. I was like, no. And then he, he like, he's like, oh, like, he's like, okay, no, like, feel the rope. Like, I got you. Like, feel it, feel your body weight, lean back into it. Has anybody repelled before? You go off the cliff, you lean backwards, which is, like, opposite of human nature, right? But that makes sense eventually, you know? But at first, you're like, I'm not going off the cliff backwards. Sometimes the gospel is simple, and sometimes it's complex. We're called to trust. We're called to have faith in the one who, who holds all things together, our great high priest. Jesus is holding us. We're, we're made for the, for the edge. We're not made to be out here. We're also not jumping off over the cliff. That, like There is a healthy reverence here. What happens when we don't think that, that God isn't that glorious? What happens when we think the weightiness of your, your boss is more important than, than God's heaviness, his, his glory. You know? Ooh. Back to Tim Chester. He says this. He, he provides a, a helpful diagnostic statement for us. God is glorious, so I don't have to fear others. 
If if it's true that God is glorious, and if we believe this statement, if this is a true statement, then the good news is, is this, folks. We don't have to fear others. The God of the Bible is not some cosmic policeman ready to rain down acts of God, like, like in insurance language, you know. God is also not this grandfatherly, you know, old gentleman in the sky. He, he's not far away. He's not sleeping. He's also not this watchmaker who wound up the universe and now it's just clicking out, tick-tock, tick-tock. He's not a vending machine. God is Great, He is uniquely holy and he is glorious. And in his freedom, he does wonderful, amazing things. And sometimes we, we pray for the miracle and we don't see it. Sometimes we do. There's a lot of mixture. There's a lot of wrestling in this faith walk. But through it all, God's like, I love you. I'm here for you. I want to be known in relationship. And something that the Incarnation teaches us is that God is for us. God is with us. God is big and glorious, and he's drawing us to himself. And God makes his glory the most visible, the most tangible in the person of Jesus Christ. Fix your eyes on Jesus. So how can we increase our reverence of of God and his glory? Well, the Bible gives us a hint. You learn about it. This is something that can be taught. Following a number of different patterns in the book of Deuteronomy. And we can also check out the Proverbs, Psalms, and elsewhere. But learning to revere God, that is something that is taught. In Deuteronomy, Moses is speaking to the people of, of Israel. Let's just kind of zoom into Deuteronomy real quick. He basically says, okay, God has given us these instructions. God has given us these commands. Follow them and you will live. Don't add or subtract from them. Here's the prescribed way to live. You guys got this. Follow them and you will live. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, Mr. Moses says, okay, only be careful. And watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb and he said to to me, assemble the people before me to hear my words so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. That's the pattern. Israel, don't forget the Passover meal, the holy days, the, the feasts and the festivals. Like, like, Israel, don't forget. Teach this stuff. Multi-generational teaching. Teach the kids. Teach yourselves. Remind each other. Pass on my words, God says, so that you learn to revere. You guys are made to be on the edge. Follow my commands. Trust me, God says. In Deuteronomy 6, Moses is like, 
Okay, God has directed me to teach everyone to observe these commands. The reason you're learning these commands is so that you can pass on the ways of God to the next generation, children and grandchildren and so forth. Again, we hear this, we're hearing this again, so that they may fear the Lord their God and enjoy life. In Deuteronomy 17, these instructions are for the king. When, when a king takes the throne, new king, with his kingdom, he is to write for himself a scroll of God's word. Straight from the Levitical priests, each king, you get your own scroll. You know what? Read it every single day. Read it all the days of your life so that you may learn what? To revere the Lord. Again, learn to have a healthy fear of the Lord in all, a respect, how significant God is, the, the, the commands, like who God is and, and what, what he is and, and, and what God does for us. Carefully follow all the words and ways of God. Be humble. Don't turn to the left or the right. Stay with God. Back to that path, okay? There's God's way and then there's not God's way. Sometimes that's, that's hard to figure out sometimes. We can go back to God's word. I, I believe his, his message is within reach for us. We study. We learn. We, we hash out theology and community. And there's other passages that we could point to in terms of fearing God, revering God. For the author of Deuteronomy... Traditionally, we say Moses, right? The, the wisdom is this. Learning, observing, following, obeying God's word. That is just absolutely foundational to learning to revere our holy and awesome, big, glorious God. Not just so that you have more head knowledge, but it's for the discipling of your heart. <clears throat> Because I've certainly, there have been times where it's like, wow, my, my head is full of information. I know all the right answers. And my heart is just like, just battling with distrust. God, you're not that glorious. You're not that great, right? You're not that big. I don't trust you. But my head's like, no, 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 the information's up there. My heart's like, no, watch out. No, that's sanctification. It's bringing head and heart together. And so here the good news. The, the more we get to know God, the more we realize how big and glorious he is. And as our vision of, of God becomes stronger and, and clearer, the more that we believe in the truth that God is glorious, the more we are free from the snare of fearing others. Or as Tim Chester puts it, whenever you see someone whom you fear or whose approval you crave, imagine God next to him or her. God is big and glorious. And so I just want to end here with three application questions. Open-ended here. I really hope you apply yourself to these questions. And, and also notice they're all framed up for this coming week. This week. Starts right now. This week. Think about this week. As, as you think about fearing others, 
Maybe it's a noisy neighbor, someone at work. I don't know. As you think about unhealthy attempts at seeking approval, unhealthy craving attention and things like that, what is a small thing you can do this week to learn about God's glory? What do you think? It's okay to start small. But like what what's just one little one little habit, one little one little pattern perhaps you can start baking in this this week that will help you kind of engage with and learn about God's glory. Because again, if if, if Tim Chester is right, the answer to the fear of man is the fear of God. Who is God, this glorious God, respecting God, that edge, yeah. What area of your life do you feel like you're kind of running too fast right now and you need a slowdown? Maybe there's a there's a a sphere of your life, an arena of your life that is just too much circus right now. And so it's like, "Ooh, let's slow down. Orient my head and heart, my hands and my habits as well. You know, how can I orient myself under God's big glory?" How can you orient yourself there? And three, who can you bring along in your own walk as you hash these things out? You have a friend, a safe person to talk with. Maybe you're, you know, you're walking in freedom from this. This is something you used to struggle with, but maybe you have a, a testimony and a story to, to tell. Who, who can you share that with this week? Who can you bring along in your walk and or who can you walk with this week who perhaps is struggling with what the Bible calls fear of man, fear of others, or again, that mutant twin craving the approval of others kind of leads us in the same same spot, two sides of the same coin. So church, don't, don't be like Ariel. Uh, God doesn't want you to exchange your beautiful mermaid voice for a pair of legs. <laughs> you are not poor, unfortunate souls. Another little mermaid reference there. <laughs> you are made by a glorious God. He's big, he's glorious, and you get to reflect God's glory. So may you have a big view of God. May you trust and believe that God will keep you safe. Let's close in prayer.